Thursday, April 10th, 2014. This is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Pope Runyon. And tonight, we present a discussion on different interpretations and conceptions of Kabbalah. Now, this is a subject we have covered before. However, that was years ago before we started climbing the tree of life in our weekly lecture series. And now that we have arrived at the abyss and are venturing onto the 11-sphere tree before the fall, it is appropriate for us to review our hermetic Kabbalistic structure and establish the philosophical, mythological, and metaphysical differences between the various Kabbalahs and the particular innovations we have made in our modern hermetic version of this ancient system. On next week's show, Frater Osiris, Magister of our Atlanta, Georgia Lodge, will be giving a lecture on this subject with some fascinating insights of his own on the pentagrammatron. It's a pentagrammatron. Uh, there was uh, uh, some new ideas on a on an old wrinkle where you you put the fifth element into the fourfold name. And so our talk could be considered a preliminary to his program. So tonight, tune in and we'll play Monopoly on the greatest board game of the universe. Let me say a little something about that. Way back in the old Seventh Ray, not the not the one that we have available on Amazon today, but back in the old Seventh Ray, which we're going to reprint uh, Probably, well, maybe this year we'll get it reprinted. Anyway, we used to have a cartoon in every issue. We still do. And we had a cartoon which depicted several monks, uh, magical monks, sitting around a tree of life diagram that was laid out on the floor. And they're all squatting around it, and they've got cards, and they've got dice, and they've got pieces, and they're, they're, they're playing a board game on the Tree of Life. And one of these monks picks up a card, and he reads it with a horrified expression. And the other ones are kind of smiling at him, and he reads, Go to the abyss. Go directly to the abyss. Do not pass to breath. Do not receive enlightenment. That's where we get the idea of playing Monopoly on the greatest board game in the universe. Uh... Uh, of course, the Tree of Life is a diagram. It's a schematic. It's it's a philosophical schematic, actually. Um, the universe does not look like a giant pinball machine or, or a Monopoly board. Um, but it's a very, very effective schematic. Now, uh, what we need to do this evening is to... Differentiate first between these different uh, versions of Kabbalah so that you understand that, that there is not one Kabbalah and there is not one Kabbalah that's right. There are several Kabbalahs, quite a few actually, and the one that's right is the one that's right for you. 
if you're uh, if you're you're Jewish and you're and you're and you're fairly religious uh, uh, Jewish person, then then for heaven's sake, you should you should stay with Kabbalah or well, they, I think they pronounce it Kabbalah, and that's the one that one is spelled K A B B A L A H, and that means um, that means Kabbalah that uh, that is acceptable and is oriented toward uh, the uh, the Jewish version of the Bible. Now, uh, I would recommend, in that respect, I'd recommend uh, Leonora Leitz's The Secret Doctrine of the Kabbalah. Leonora Leitz is the protege of Ira Kaplan, who was, until he died, the greatest living Kabbalist. Um, and Leonor Leach carried on his work, and that this this um, secret doctrine of the of the Kabbalah is a wonderful book and very very uh, deep. And it, you know, naturally there are things that in our version of the system that don't do, don't don't agree with with Leonora. But however, however, there is one thing. If she didn't do anything else, uh, Leonor Leach, uh, uh, um, Leonor said something in here in this book that I am going to read because this is to me this this is, is just absolutely golden. She says on page let's see thirty six of the book talking about Ezekiel's vision and this is Merkaba mysticism where you ascend ascend all the way up through the spheres and contemplate the, the throne of God. And she says, the essential meaning of Ezekiel's vision, then, is that the Son of Man, the human Son of God, is he who has achieved the mystical capacity to see the divine nature of his own higher self. This understanding became part of the later Kabbalistic tradition that at the highest level of mystical ascent, the face one sees on the throne will be one's own. Well, right there, Leonora, Rabbi Leonora Leed has has vindicated our whole proposition with evocation in in the in the magic mirror that we came out with uh well we developed back in nineteen sixty nine and and finally published um following non Craig's publication we finally published uh, our own uh, dissertation on it which I'm gonna read from tonight, the Book of Solomon's Magic came out in nineteen ninety six. And we we held that your reflection transforms into whatever spirits you're, you're calling in the mirror, in the triangle. And a number of old hands didn't agree with that, but uh, fortunately uh, uh, a lot of people do. And Leonora, of course, in, in her wonderful book, she has vindicated that. Now, um, I'm going to, in order to differentiate these different uh, versions of Kabbalah, I'm going to read uh, a chapter from the 
book of Solomon's magic. That's called the Kabbalah Wizard Creed. But before I do that, I want to make sure you understand that 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 Hebrew Kabbalah or Kabbalah uh, developed. It's it really it, it developed around the 10th century, pretty much in Spain and and to some degree over in Palestine, but. It was an outgrowth of, of Jewish mysticism coming out of Alexandria. It incorporated, when it finally got going in the Zohar, which was that in the 13, 1300s in, in Spain, when it finally got together, it incorporated a essentially Pythagorean, a, a Gnostic and Pythagorean uh, philosophy. And and uh, with certain Zoroastrian elements, of course, into it, it was not it was not uh, Orthodox Jewish philosophy at all. And, and the, the Kabbalah was Pythagorean, very much influenced by and and I'm not this is just my opinion. That's Gershom Shalom's opinion too. The uh, so the the Kabbalah, even in its in its very Hebrew form. Was essentially it was essentially hermetic, you know, going back to Empedocles, if you please, and Empedocles, if you don't please, and 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 so it was a Jewish interpretation on a hermetic, Neoplatonic theme. All right? But around about 1450 or so, just a few hundred years later, the um, the Christian mystics got a hold of it. Now, I don't know whether we ought to call these people Christian. Well, you, we have to call them Christian mystics because they, they were Christian, more or less. But they were having a kind of a pagan hermetic renaissance in the, in Italy. And they got a hold of the Kabbalah, especially Pico della Mirandola. And, uh, and they incorporated it into their revived version of of. Hermeticism, which was essentially Pythagorean, which is essentially Empedoclean, and, and so it integrated it back in. And ever since that time, so the Kabbalah only had, it only had a, a few hundred years to be Jewish before the Christians grabbed it and, and made it Hermetic again. And so then we get this so-called Christian Kabbalah or Rosicrucian Kabbalah, and Hermetic Kabbalah, and, and it and they and it starts accumulating all sorts of, of, of Hermetic elements outside because it was basically Hermetic in structure, and it starts accumulating all these elements, and so it and it it accumulates a little different philosophical approach, one thing or another, and so you have two different Kabbalahs, and and. Uh, there's an awful lot of influence, a lot of influence from the Zohar in in the Hermetic Kabbalah. In fact, the Golden Dawn is very much influenced by the Latin version of the Zohar, very much so, and and uh, more so than uh, than our particular version of Hermetic Kabbalah. But they, they, these two these two versions are are different, and they they continue to differ as the time went on. And for for instance. Uh, uh, the tarot cards uh, became a very important part of the Hermetic Kabbalah around about uh, the middle of the, of the 19th century. Uh, I know it sounds kind of late, but that's when it was, actually, when the tarot cards got 
taken right into the Hermetic Kabbalah and became an important part of it. And, of course, they did not go into the Hebrew Kabbalah. Both Kabbalahs, or Kabbalahs, both of them are very, very much uh, astrologically oriented. Now, I know that uh, outwardly, uh, the Jewish folks will tell you that uh, their Kabbalah doesn't have that much to do with astrology. Well, they're wrong. It does. Now they're, they're well. They're not wrong. They're just telling you that because they don't want you to, you know, they don't want you to think that it does. But it does. And if you read the Zohar, you realize it's very, very astrological. And the Zohar is also full of paganism too. And I mean, they, they uh, there's one thing in the Zohar about Solomon. Oh gosh, Solomon mounts on. On the mother of eagles, and that's old Shumal from you know from way back in Princecott, the magic bow. You know? The mother of the, the Canaanite mother of eagles, and he rides at night to the mountain of darkness, and then inside the mountain of darkness, Asa and Azazel, who are a composite of all two hundred of those fallen angels that fell right in the middle of uh, the Phoenician Mount Hermon, and you know, and are part of our Phoenician, Kabbalistic, Hermetic tradition. So that's where Solomon gets his secret knowledge is from Asa and Azazel chained in the mountain of darkness while riding the Canaanite mother of eagles. Isn't this nice? I mean, it's really nice. This is in the Zohar. Don't think so? Look it up. Okay, anyway. Uh, so we have a lot of intersection. We still do. We learn a lot from the Hebrew Kabbalah, especially that, because the, these really great books now are coming out on it, like Leonardo Lee's book is just a gold mine of information, so we use it. But our advantage, of course, is, <laughs> our advantage is that we don't need to use the parts of the Kabbalah that we think are primarily, you know, serving the, the Jewish end of the way of end things. We don't, we don't need to use those. We we can use those parts of the cabal that we feel like we want to use, and uh, this gives us a, a kind of a universal way of looking at it. And now what I'm going to do is I'm going to, having laid that groundwork, I'm going to read... Uh, because that way we won't miss any, any, you know, we'll touch all the bases. I'm going to read our chapter in um, in the Book of Solomon's Magic called The Kabbalah of Wizardry. Uh, okay. Yeah, well, here it is. Now, I preceded this chapter with um, a poem that I got, I channeled from, uh, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say much or what I channeled this well, I will because I got it recited. But let's let's just leave it at that. I channel this one. In the beginning, there was whirling darkness, and the mother of night and the dragon of chaos. And the dragon embraced the mother of night, who gave birth to two sons, the light, who shone forth to ensoul the worlds, and time, who gave meaning to eternity. That's from the teachings of Kakiyambo. Okay, Chapter 5, The Kabbalah of Wizardry. Remember, as above, so below, as within, so without. And at this point, you might be wondering, how can we, as mere mortals, presume to invoke archangels and evoke ancient gods, goddesses, and demon kings, even though we have the essential operative secrets, hypnosis, 
the mirror reflection phenomenon, and the ore-producing crystal. And where do we get the special knowledge, the philosophy, and the empowerment to use these methods of magical operations? The philosophy behind Solomon's magic is Kabbalah. In magic, the Kabbalistic mindset is as, impor- is as important as the hypnotic operating technique. If hypnosis is the tactic of the wizard, then Kabbalah is his strategy. About this, there is comforting news and there is challenging news. Well, the challenging news is, is that you cannot escape learning the basics of Kabbalah. But the comforting news is, is that you don't need to read Hebrew any better than some Tibetan lamas can read Sanskrit, and they're still excellent magicians. Please understand, I don't propose to teach you Kabbalah in this book. This short chapter merely sets forth the special characteristics of our version of Kabbalah. You can familiarize yourself with the grand old system and the works I've recommended in the study guide. Now, with this in mind, let's look briefly at what I call the Kabbalah of wizardry. It was developed in the late Middle Ages and early Renaissance by nominally Christian magicians and is usually referred to as the Hermetic Kabbalah, Q-A-B-A-L-A-H, as opposed to K-A-B-B-A-L-A-H. Now, how does it differ from rabbinical Kabbalah and just how pagan and how Gnostic or how Judeo-Christian is it? Well, these questions may not seem important at this point, but they will loom large as you begin a serious study of the subject. So I will do my best to answer them as briefly and as simply as I can right at the outset of your training. Let us begin by attempting a one-sentence definition of Kabbalah. Kabbalah is a philosophical, mathematical, geometric system that describes the creation and operation of the universe through four dimensions by employing a schematic design containing ten spheres of descending emanation connected by 22 paths attributed to letters of the alphabet and their numerical equivalents. Well, this is a starting point, but it's not much better than giving the weight, height, and color as the definition for an elephant. Essential to understanding Kabbalah is the concept of the Ein Sof, the limitless nothing that contracts into itself and produces the Ein Sof Aur, the limitless light, which then expands to produce the universe and continues to enliven and to ensoul it. This conception predates modern physics's Big Bang theory by a thousand years. And it also puts Kabbalistic philosophy in a very controversial position in relation to Orthodox Jewish and Christian religion. At the highest level, the Kabbalist can conceive, God is not judgmental or in any way dissatisfied with his creation. He simply is, and he continues to be. A contemporary popular analogy would be the Force in Lucas's Star Wars films. The universe is therefore operated by lesser, more differentiated personifications, such as angels, gods, goddesses, and elemental spirits. And this idea was originally Neoplatonic, 
the philosophical high-water mark of classical paganism and can be explored further in the writings of the philosopher Plotinus and his followers. Now, we attribute all these lesser powers to the various spheres and paths of the tree of life structure described in our one-sentence definition. We can then access them for knowledge or for help. Now, thinking of it in a more subjective way, we might say that Kabbalah is a spiritual, magical computer program for your mind. It interfaces the left and the right hemispheres of the brain, a modern psychological reality originally theorized by the capitalist Isaac Luria in the 16th century. And it allows you to go online with the great mainframe, in other words, the microcosm you, accesses the macrocosm God. And since its emergence in medieval southern France and Spain to the present era, Kabbalah, especially the magical Kabbalah, has been studied and practiced by as many Gentiles as Jews. In 15th century Europe, a philosophical marriage took place that established the lineage of the Western esoteric tradition. Hebrew Kabbalah was united with classical paganism, Hermeticism. Hermetic philosophy had arisen in the second century of the Christian era as an attempt to preserve the ancient wisdom from the anti-intellectual onslaught of Christian zealots. It combined elements of Neoplatonic, Gnostic, and Orphic teachings. And when the Hermetic writings were rediscovered by Renaissance Europeans, magic was literally reborn. Hermetic Kabbalah, which shared many of the same original roots, was integrated into the Hermetic scheme to give a necessary structure. Humanist Hermetic philosophers enriched their magical art by including the pagan Orphic hymns to the gods and drawing on the exotic Arabian Sabaean planetary magical system having origins in ancient Canaan and Babylon, to create an elegant synthesis. The earth was declared a goddess, the anima mundi, and the deified sun, moon, and planets were evoked both in the human body and in the heavens beyond. This obviously pagan, capricious, and amoral pantheon was balanced and regulated by angelic counterparts retained from the biblical system. However, in the Hermetic Kabbalah, these angels were thought of as the sentient messengers or special power givers, not of a biblical Jehovah, but of an omnipresent, omnipotent, and non-judgmental force that flowed throughout the universe. The famous Renaissance philosopher-magician Giordano Bruno, who was supposedly burned at the stake for supporting Copernicus's heliocentric theory, was actually executed by the Inquisition, not because he publicly declared that, yes, the earth does revolve around the sun, but because he then insisted that the sun is a god. Kabbalah, in its earliest form, was probably derived from a synthesis of Pythagorean mathematical geometric philosophy and Simonian Samaritan Gnosticism in the first century. This was in Palestine and Alexandria. Its Palestinian roots are shrouded in myth, but we can make an argument for a pagan Samaritan origin. It is later Hermetic 
In this later hermetic form, the practical or magical Kabbalah is similar to Tibetan Tantric Buddhism. In that elaborate visualization of frankly pagan god forms, angels and elemental spirits are naturally encouraged. And Judaic and Muslim religious tradition forbids this imagery and thus severely handicapping their forms of Kabbalah. There is, however, one major difference between our hermetic system and that of the tantrics. They contend that everything is ultimately illusion. Whereas we say that everything is ultimately reality. For this reason, we place great emphasis on developing and balancing the four philosophical elements, fire, air, water, and earth, animated by the force, which we call spirit. In hermetic Kabbalistic terms, these four elements are the manifestation of the Tetragrammaton, the fourfold name of God. They are further personified by the four archangels of the quarters with which you are already familiar. The importance of these four magical elements, which are also the Grail Hallows and the Tarot Suits, cannot be overemphasized. I need not press my argument further than to refer the student to one of our major beginning texts, Initiation into Hermetics by Franz Barden. This entire work is devoted to the mastery of these four principles. Hermetic Kabbalah also employs angelic balancing forces as invoking and evoking formulas to call down and summon up its otherwise pagan entities. There should be no disrespect or irreverence toward ancient deities in this process. It is the traditional source of the magician's power. The arts of theurgy and thaumaturgy allow you to explore vast dream realms and discover lost treasures of spirit. One might say that the worshipping mystic waits upon the whim of his god, well, the magician sets out to climb Mount Olympus. If you are a spiritual adventurer, the respectful manipulation of these forces will be the appropriate method for you. You now have a beginning idea of what Hermetic Kabbalah is about, but you may still wonder how it differs from traditional Jewish Kabbalah. It differs in three ways. First, Jewish Kabbalah is primarily concerned with decoding the first five books of the Bible via the process of gematria. Each Hebrew letter has a number value, and hence any other word adding up to the same value has a mystic relation or could be a coded substitution. Second, Jewish Kabbalah, of the most esoteric Lurianic school, does postulate a non-judgmental God force at the highest level, but becomes highly moralistic in descending levels. And third, Jewish Kabbalah has nothing to do with the tarot or any pagan God forms on the Tree of Life. Now, by the 18th century, the Jewish intellectual establishment had generally abandoned Kabbalah as a baleful influence on their culture. Although in recent years there has been a revival of interest in the subject in the Jewish community, especially in the 1960s and 70s when the rabbis discovered that some of their brightest young people were attracted to esoteric Buddhism. 
And this historical background is mentioned so that the reader will be aware that there are distinctly different conceptions and philosophies of Kabbalah. There is no official Kabbalah. There is only the Kabbalah that is right for you. And we should also mention that our particular OTA version of the Hermetic Kabbalah uses Phoenician letters instead of Hebrew. The Phoenician alphabet. And we use a non-Judaic tetragrammaton in lieu of YHVH. And, and next week, uh, Michael's, Brother Michael's going to uh, he's going to deal with this uh, pentagram version of that will be a, uh, a pentagrammaton, and that. I should mention at this point uh, that um, Pico Delamarandola and also Rishman, Rishman is a primary one, they used to take the letter Shin, which is the letter of fire, of course, and they would put that in the middle of YHVH, and they would use this to uh, convert uh, to convert Jewish uh, people to Christianity because they said it spelled Yeshua, which was a Rosicrucian version of Jesus. Well, the rabbis, of course, said, no, no, it doesn't, because that's not that's not Jesus in, in Hebrew anyway. But this trick was, how it called a trick, we've used it. I remember when I was teaching, when I was teaching, I was learning, <laughs> when I was learning uh, Kabbalah and, and from Rabbi Kramer and, and, uh, and over in Northridge, uh, taking a uh, Kabbalah course, and we had a we had a Jesus freak in the class, and, and uh, I, I apologize, I'll be, we had a very devout Christian in the class, and and uh, he was continually giving the rabbi problems you know, and and we were having coffee and the rabbi and and a couple of the students myself and we were having coffee after class one time and I said well why don't we why don't we tell him about about you know Richmond doing this putting this putting this shin in the middle of YHVH and, and that'll make him happy and, and Rabbi Kramer looked at me and he gave me this this look and he said Ryan if you do that you're gonna flunk this course <laughs> but anyway, uh, so where does Jesus fit in all this? And was there ever any such thing as a Christian Kabbalah? Yeah, uh, there were some attempts at this during the Renaissance, and uh, but Christianity's doctrine of faith is fundamentally opposed to, to Kabbalah's doctrine of knowledge, Gnosis, and Christianity's triune structure will not fit the ten spheres, the ought kind, tree of life, and if you are eclectic, you can place Jesus in Tiferet, along with Baal and Osiris. But you should be aware that this is not an elegant assignment, because there are no other deities in any Christian pantheon whom you can then place in other Sephirot. The apostles won't fit, and the saints aren't appropriate. Conversely, ancient Semitic pagan deities fit so perfectly on the tree that one might think that the Kabbalah was secretly designed for their eventual return. Uh, before we get any further, I mean, I'm going to digress a little bit and say the Rosicrucian, that later 17th century Rosicrucian and 18th century Rosicrucian uh, efforts in, in, in this respect did, did actually uh, manage to get the Yeheshua formula and, and, and to work. And it does. And, and the Golden Dawn uses the Yeheshua formula. And uh, next week, 
uh, uh, Michael uh, Frederick Cyrus is going to come up with a very interesting version of this, his own version. But let me point this out. We can now, see, we've, we've held off having you know, a great respect for Jesus and, a, and, and all of that, but we've held off involving Jesus in any of our rituals because we felt that if we ever did, we'd be opening the door just to, you know, to having having ourselves Christianized to the point where we lose our magic. But now, uh, Karim Elkusa over there in Lebanon has written a very, very uh, powerful book in which he is uh, proving, at least to my satisfaction, what I always kind of thought, that Jesus was uh, was trying to, and the, the New Covenant was L, not I-H-V-H anyway, and that Jesus was more Canaanite than Jewish. And um, so this way we can. Actually, we can now, in the inner order, we can now incorporate Jesus because we can do this. Oh, but he'll naturally be a prophet. Not We're not going to deify him any more than anybody else. But but uh, we can certainly incorporate him as a prophet in the, in the inner order, and we sure. I've been wanting to do this, but, but you know, I couldn't really, I didn't have the proof that even though Paul said he was a priest after the order of Melchizedek, well, now we have proof of it, so or at least to our satisfaction. So we can now incorporate Jesus into our inner order structure, so we can call ourselves Rosicrucians. Or Phoenicia Crucians, maybe, I don't know. Anyway, uh, but to get back to this, um, so if you're eclectic, you can place Jesus in Tiberef. And I said, and that's where he should go. All right. Now, uh, conversely, as I said, ancient pagan deities, but I want to point out something about pagan deities on the Tree of Life. I don't care what, what whether you use uh, Greek, fit, they fit. And, and uh, use Egyptian or whatever you want to use. They they fit in the Yazura Yazura dimension, and there are of course also angels that fit in that dimension too. But but the Yazura dimension, the so-called astral plane, the the plane of the emotions, that that um, that third level down in the Kabbalistic uh, process of emanation, that is where. They would go, and we do this on a yogi and the idea of Jungian archetypes. So when you, we're very uh, hermetic philosophy is very, very compatible with Jungian, Jungian psychology and philosophy. So we're not worshiping, and get please understand this: we're not worshiping pagan gods, not any more than the Tibetans are. They're Buddhists, and they're not worshiping pagan gods either. Some of them end up doing it. And I suppose some of us could end up doing it here, but but that's not the idea. They are they are yet Zurich forms and uh, useful in that respect. Uh, now, modern archaeological research by Professor Simo Parpola presented in his article The Assyrian Tree of Life in the Journal of Narration Studies supports this view, establishing that the original Tensfield tree was attributed to the gods and goddesses of ancient Mesopotamia, which were nearly cognate with our Canaanite pantheon, and which were imported into ancient Israel after the Assyrian conquest with the forced resettlement of the Samaritans. And, uh, well, that may or may not be true, but, but the fact of the matter is that the Canaanite 
the Canaanite gods are very, very much um, very cognate with the with the Babylonian, and uh, and as a result, uh, they do fit. That's why they fit so well on that on that tree design, because that's what the tree original tree was. Now the Azure dimension, wherein the magician does most of his or her work, comprises the Sephirot from Hesed down to Yesod. And here we find the anthropomorphic and zoomorphic images of mythology. This is the realm of the gods that Carl Jung called the collective unconscious. And here we find the genie of King Solomon's brass vessel. Well, not exactly. The truth is that all of King Solomon's spirits are found in the lowest sphere of the astral, the lunar sphere of his heart. This is the case even though they are attributed to all the planets from Mercury up to Saturn, you know. And we have what appears to be a paradox as a result of trying to explain Kabbalah in one short chapter. The tree of life design serves different functions. In the description above, we use the four olam division on one single tree to show the process of creation. Be aware, however, that each of the four dimensions operates throughout the whole tree, and each sephira contains its own complete tree. We find all of Solomon's genie in the various planetary spheres of Yassad because Yassad is the gateway to the astral and the sphere of memory and the sphere of the dark mirror. The moon and the mirror and the dark mirror. Very, 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 very similar. Now, if this sounds confusing, try to visualize it this way. The moon is the planetary sphere closest to the Earth in Kabbalistic terms. Yesod is the sphere closest to Malkuth. The outer planets and the sun are reflected down through it. Coming up from below, it is our port of entry into the subconscious, emotional, astral plane, the Olam Yetzirah. Thus, the lunar mirror and memory aspects of Yesod are very appropriate because the Goetia spirits are, in a psychological sense, all reflections of different aspects of yourself, extended out in a flat circle on this primal emotional level. Observe the moon in all your workings, the Lomagotin declares, and given the above, your next question should be, which archangels control these goetic spirits? Obviously, Gabriel rules your sword and should be invoked in a greater lunar planetary septogram ritual preceding every goetic operation. Remember, the 72 spirits of the brass vessel are not an ascending hierarchy, and neither are the four archangels of the corners and the 72 angels of the Shemeham Farash, who control the 72 goetic spirits. They are all in a flat circular pattern following the signs of the zodiac. Now I'm referring you to our master mandala, which many of you have. If you don't, you should get it. You may note another apparent paradox with the four archangels of the quarters and the elements also doubling as four of the seven planetary archangels. Kabbalistic hair splitters will tell you that they are actually different beings with the same names, and you may find that, and you may find it necessary at a certain stage of your development to go along with this 
Eventually, you will internalize the archangelus as principal CG. Raphael personifies the illuminating sun in the eastern quadrant and the life-giving properties of the air. Recall my Metatron, HGA, Sandalphon, angelic totem pole. While these angels are not attributed to the planets in any context. That's, um, that's one that uh, the extended version of the pentagram ritual in which you create an entire magical universe with you at the center. And you do that by, by saying, and essentially this is a picatrix type concept, you do that by standing in the center and you do, above me, Metatron, beneath me, Sandalphon, before me, Raphael, behind me, Gabriel, at my right hand, Mikhail, at my left hand, Boreal, for around me flame the pentagrams, and within me shines the six-rayed star. Okay, you got the idea. Once you have raised such ancient deities as Baal, Astarte, Amun-Ra, or Horus through the Goetic, their Goetic forms, via the lunar gate, you may certainly seek them in their higher spheres under their original titles and in proper planetary operations. And the Picatrix provides an excellent resource for such advanced workings. Remember, the ancient gods and goddesses are capricious, like forces of nature. They have the forces of nature that they represent. So balance your work carefully. Considering the above, the thoughtful student might ask if hermetic Kabbalistic magic is an amoral system. It is not possible to give a quick, simple no answer to this question. One reason is that there is nothing quick and simple about Kabbalah. And another reason is, is that without certain philosophical principles, such as reincarnation, the law of karma, and the belief that spiritual evolvement requires one to transcend personal ego and find compassion for all humankind, Hermetic Kabbalah could be seriously misused. And of course, it's sometimes Jews. For this reason, we follow the example of Hermes Trismegistus and keep the teachings as a prize to be won by seekers after wisdom, not a gospel to be preached to the multitudes. So if you find this chapter a little difficult to understand without parallel reading, you should realize that we are following that principle and should be encouraged to study the recommended texts. And if this brief theoretical explanation raises as many questions as it answers, we are at least off to a good start. Now, let's take a quick look at the practical Kabbalistic aspects of poetic operation. After opening the lunar gate, you saw it with a planetary centigrade ritual during which you will internally expand the tree of life. In Yasad, located in the genital chakra, you will to displace and overlay the other psychic centers of your body, and you will then circumambulate your magic circle to sell as many turns as the number of the sphere you are working, e.g. seven times for the sphere of Netzach. And likewise, in a Yasad Netzach operation, you would use green candles and burn sandalwood incense, and the names of power that you plug into your standard conjuration are drawn from the Master Mandala and the 777 references to the sphere of your working. And you will also use the proper planetary metal or an affordable facsimile. And for the spirit's lament that you wear as a receiver, 
And as you can see, there is a psychotechnical structure to Solomon's magic that is definitely Kabbalistic, and this does not mean that you have to master all of the theoretical principles and practical methods of this venerable philosophy before you venture into wizardry. The fact is that you will never master it all. And one of the more important things you will learn from the study of Kabbalah, or Kabbalah, or Kabbalah, and the practice of magic, or magic, is the vast extent of what you really do not know. And the more you study and practice, the greater, the greater, deeper, and further this unknowing extends. Remember this when someone tries to tell you how much they know or how little you know about Kabbalah. Oh boy, have we... Have we raised more questions than we've answered? Probably have. Now, let me um, point out, though, that that this that I have described is a modern, a modern, streamlined version of Renaissance Hermetic Kabbalah. This does not the, the Golden Dawn, which we we try to be as compatible to go go Golden Dawn. Uh, structure as you know, as, as far as correspondence as as far as possible, because they 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 did the best synthesis since Crippa. They theirs is the best uh, set of correspondences, and so we try to stay as close to the Golden Dawn as possible because we have a very close relationship with the Golden Dawn. But they have a cliff off. That's from the Zohar. We don't have a cliff off, and what I mean by that is is we're monistic, and and. That Klifoth is a dualistic concept. That's where all the evil, so-called evil spirits, a lot of aren't evil, I mean, are down there in a sump below the tree. Well, our tree, no, our tree is, we're, we're monists. We believe that, that what, what you know people would call evil is just as much of that as there is what people would call goodness all on the tree. I mean, we don't we don't see the... Uh, the tree is as a, as a, a purified holy thing. The tree is the universe. That's the this is the schematic of the universe as it as it is in all of its levels, as far up and far up as you can go. And and so uh, we're not going down into the cliff mark. There is no cliff mark as far as we're concerned. But the golden dawn has one. They hang on to that. They're influenced by the Zohar in that respect. Uh, now, you may wonder, well, if we don't have a cliff off, uh, uh, are we saying that all these uh, these uh, spirits and demons and pagan gods, and they're all just running around, and we have no control over them and all that? Uh, no, no, we're not saying that at all. Uh, in fact, uh, we use we use the Shemihamfarash angels, the 72 angels in the higher sphere of God, to help us control those rebellious spirits that are down in the bottom of Yassad, uh in the Goetia, and we, and we, 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 we maintain the balance. We, we call upon the power of God and the angels to, to, to do this. We, we, uh, and this is not, I don't think of this as being moral. We think of this as being just plain good sense because, uh, quite frankly, Morality for a hermetic magician is is it results from the fact that he knows he knows or she knows that that, that 
that, you know, God's inside you and you are the center of the universe. You're God, but then so is everybody else. And so everybody else is is like you have to respect everybody else the way you respect yourself. You have to respect the God in them. There's as much God in everybody as there is in you, even though you may be more aware of it than they are. That's our morality. Is, is compassion for, and, and, and understanding for other human beings. So we don't need, uh, oh, everything on that side of the free is evil and everybody on this side of the free is good. No, 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 no we don't need that. Uh, and, in fact, the way the Kabbalah is originally conceived, uh, they didn't need the dualism that they had, but, but they wanted it. Yeah, as they began to differentiate, they couldn't get away from it. I mean, the dualism, and dualism is part of it's part of the universe. It's like, uh, I think the Taoist point of view is probably best in this. It's the yin-yang. It's, it's the yin-yang. It's not, nothing's necessarily bad or good. you got to have darkness. To be the, if you're going to have light, you've got to have darkness. And, and things can't last forever. Sooner or later, they've got to, got to fall apart, be replaced by something else. And so uh, evil, evil can really be if you want to really define evil, the way I define it, I define evil as a human being who purposefully goes out to hurt another human, to hurt and exploit, and 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 be, to uh, to deceive, hurt, and exploit, and dominate another human being. That that I consider evil. That 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 that's evil. And anything else? I mean, no. I mean, but but that that's my definition of evil. And uh, and so, and like for instance, let me give you a little example, right quick. Our um, good friend and 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 colleague, Maestro Steve Sando, who, by the way, did a wonderful, wonderful translation of the of the uh, Separate Seal, which is an old an old Kabbalistic uh, from what. Steve was raised in a Jewish home, and he decided that he was going to do Goetia the hard way. He was going to, he was just going to conjure. He wasn't going to use a conjuration device or anything. He was just going to shut himself up with his buddies, and they were going to set themselves up in a warehouse in the middle of summer in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, at 120 degrees in the shade, and get in there and keep conjuring until they got something. But because Steve was of a Jewish background, he put those goetic spirits in the cliff on. They weren't intended to be there. Those goetic spirits are actually run through a Christian filter in Spain back, you know, way back when. And they're in a Christian Tartarus, a Dante Esca. They're not in a cliff on. But he put them there. He put them in the cliff on. So when he got his, when he finally got them, they were horrible. They they were awful looking. They couldn't do anything for him. They were just 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 plain bad. And and so you you know he he got nothing but but a lot of a lot of horrible black magic stuff that he didn't even want to get because of that that dualistic that dualistic concept. Whereas we get them, sure some of them are uh, some good spirits are are terrifying. I I I, I know. I mean I, but then but a lot of them are are really really. Uh, they're they're old pagan gods and 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 all, and you have to handle them carefully. But they're they're uh, you know they're good, and and well they're 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 what the adventurous magician you know can can handle and and should deal with. Uh, now 
this gives you some kind of an idea. By the way, this this uh, uh, essentially uh, this form of, of wizardry is uh, not would be considered black magic. The reason why is because we very definitely call upon the power of God and the angels, and we don't do that sacrilegiously. We do that very, very, very honorably and very worthy venerate. So consequently, we're not we're not to be. This is not to be considered black magic of the Faustian school or anything like that. Don't get that idea. And yet, at the same time, we are going to deal with these forces. Now, uh, uh, we have a tetragrammaton, as I said, that is generic because we don't want to offend uh, our Jewish members or Jewish guests by roaring out. I'm not going to say it because I shouldn't say it. I'm not offensive. We don't want to. That, that, we used to use YHBH because the Golden Dawn still does. We used to use it. And one and uh, gosh, um, one night about 15 years ago, I guess, or more, over in Pasadena, we had this whole bunch of of, of, of uh, Sephardic Hasidim uh, Jewish folks that came to one of our ceremonies. And we were just having a grand time with these folks, and they were getting along with them, and everything was going fine until we got out around the hinge, and there was about ten of these people, all in their long black coats and their long beards and their, their black hats and, you know, look, Majo College. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> and they're all around. The, 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 we're, we're all going around a circle, and the deacon comes out to do a pentagram ritual, and he vibrates to the end of the universe the holy name. And all of our Jewish friends are, are Sephardic to see them. They all marched out, right out of the yard, right down the driveway, right to their cars and drove away and never said goodbye. That was it. And I, we're all sitting there wondering, well, we went off with a ceremony. But I think, what in the dickens did we do? We offended them. We stole their God. They don't like it. They're the chosen people. That's their God. And we took it. And we shouldn't. And I got to thinking, my gosh. We, yeah, we we can we can have a tetragrammaton, a, 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 a um, you know a formula that represents the four elements, and it's just as good, if not better, than, than theirs, and not offend them. So we did. So we use we use Amasha O for our twenty-four letter alphabet, and we use Shamata for our twenty-two letter alphabet, and these work out beautifully. And there, uh, and Ira Kaplan, you know, confirmed in meditation of Kabbalah, Ira Kaplan pretty much confirms the use of these. Are, are, that's, this is just as good a tetragrammaton. If you're not Jewish, this is just as good a tetragrammaton as, uh, as, uh, as uh, the other one. So that's what we do. And uh, so until next week, good magic.